Now, for as long as I've been at the ABC and long before that, it's been under attack over something. News coverage, perceived biases, bureaucracy, or the boundaries it's pushed in areas of comedy, drama, doco, children's programming. Even this little wireless program, because of its uh, Bolshevik presenter. You name it, whatever the ABC does, somebody doesn't like it. But there is a silent majority, to borrow a term from the Nixon era, that may not love everything the ABC does, but accepts that and makes most of what they do enjoy. At the last count, 79% of Australians believe that what the ABC does is valuable and who speaks for these people. My guests are concerned that we do not fully appreciate the value of the ABC to individual listeners, viewers and readers or to the nation as a whole. I am pleased to welcome back to the program Patrick Mullins. Patrick is a writer and academic at the University of Canberra's Centre for Creative and Cultural Research. Also here is Matthew Rickardson. Matthew is an academic and journalist who heads up communications at Deakin University. And together they've written the book Who Needs the ABC? Why Taking It for Granted is No Longer an Option, published by our friends at Scribe, and I welcome you both to the actual studio. Matthew, one of the first points you make in the book is that there are very few platforms available for praising the ABC. Yes, it sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? But um, it's it's because there's so much noise around the ABC. I mean, uh, there's hefty sections of the commercial media which are, which have been vociferous, you know, to the point of outright hostility towards the ABC. And so if you I think at, that's a gross understatement. Okay. Poor John. <laughs> well, if you look at the rest of the media, the 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 so-called nine newspapers, which used to be Fairfax Media, they they tend to play it straight, but they are now overshadowed in kind of volume, if you like, by the News Corp Australia newspapers. And the commercial broadcast media has never really talked about the ABC. It's just not part of their remit. So the ABC can talk about itself and 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 if it wishes to do so, it, it, it you know, and praise itself, it can. But you always run the risk of looking like you're, you know, you're you're talking your own book if you're doing that. And so in the face of all this kind of noise and hostility, who is there to actually say, hang on, let's have a debate about the ABC. Well, there is the friends of the ABC, yes. but they tend to be on our side. That, well, hence the term friends of the ABC. And look, they, they have done terrific work over the years, as you only know only too well. Uh, they, I think it, they are called on less often to comment in public about the ABC. There is another group, the ABC alumni, made up of of people who used to work here, you know, in, in, in this studio and others. Very, you know, prominent former broadcasters, the... Kerry O'Brien's, Maxime McHugh, Jonathan Holmes of of the world. Um, And they are knowledgeable, they're passionate, and absolutely their voice should be out there. But what I hope that we and Patrick and I bring to this is that we are, we know the ABC, we would both happily say we, we listen to it and watch it and read it and like it, but we're not part of the ABC. And it seems that what we want to do is start a discussion um, because the ABC, of course, belongs to everybody and, uh, and, and needs support at the moment under a great deal of attack. I'm pleased to say that uh, despite your support, you have criticisms of the joint, yeah. some of which I support. So run, oh run them past me. <laughs> oh, OK. Well, look, 
Um, the book is not about the criticism. The book is about the, the other things. But yes, of course, the ABC, like any organisation, has flaws. I mean, I, personally, I think it's often sort of monochromatically mainstream. I think it's Sydney-centric. Um, I think, um, uh, you know, there there are things of that kind. Um, there are some people who say, and, and I think sometimes this happens, uh, it's a bit tame in the face of, of criticism. I can, you know, the preemptive buckle is a term that was created um, by a former ABC executive to describe what happens. But Patrick, do you think the ABC does enough self-criticism? There's the occasional sort of kick in the bum from Media Watch. I think the ABC is open to scrutiny and criticism um, of a kind that is rare among media organisations in this country. We're well accustomed to seeing the ABC's managing director front up to Senate estimates committees. Um, and to answering all sorts of questions. We're also very well aware of the regular coverage that is given to the ABC and the column inches that are devoted to it in various sections of the media. Um, Everybody has an opinion about the ABC, and I think that the criticisms that are mounted of it are well aired. Um, I think the ABC does much more than many other places, in fact, to take on and to address that criticism. Now, Matthew, had a great chat with... uh, David Hendy earlier in the mm. year about the hundredth yes, anniversary of the Beeb. Do you look at the parallels between the ABC and the BBC? We we do to an extent, and I I did hear that interview, and it, it, it that book has literally come out since we've done ours. But it is actually spooky to use a Dame Edna phrase. Um, how <laughs> many kind of parallels there are? I mean, it's the hundredth year for the BBC. It's the ninetieth year this year for the ABC. Uh, both are strong public public broadcasters and both have attracted the ire of governments over the years. And now that, you know, we have that amount of history, we can see that predominantly it's conservative governments that, that have the ABC and the BBC in the gun. But when I arrived, Bob Hawke had us in the gun because he, did. he didn't like what we were saying about uh, certain events in the Middle East. That's right, he did. And look... You know, like Tony Blair attacking the. Beam. That's true. That's true. But but as I said, if you look at the sweep of history over the over the period of time, over a long period of time, more often it's conservative governments than Labor governments, and and the level of hostility, and the actions they take to, uh, to do things to the BBC or the ABC, either overtly or covertly, are more pronounced. So I, perhaps perhaps one way to shorthand this is is one of the things we've got as an appendix in, in our book. Um, Michael Ward, who used to actually work at the ABC, is now doing a PhD about it at the University of Sydney. He he kind of did a deep nosedive into all of the funding issues and I won't won't go into the entrails with you, but there is a really startling graph in the book. And what he did was he looked at real funding, not nominal funding, real funding for the term of each government since the ABC as a commission became a corporation. So that's the whole of the Hawke-Keating era, the whole of the Howard era, the whole of Rudd-Gillard-Rudd, and then now Abbott Turnbull-Morrison. And what the graph, to put it visually if I can, looks like a cross-cut saw, okay? (laughs) It goes up under Hawke-Keating, down under Howard, up under Rudd-Gillard-Rudd and down under Abbott Turnbull-Morrison. The idea of public broadcasting is anathema in the US and there's hardly any. But how do we compare to other OECD countries when it comes to uh, funding? Well, we're about in the middle. Um, the, the, the BBC and I think it's Switzerland, isn't it, Patrick, are right up the top. The US is right down near the bottom. And, and there is 
there's a kind of important point, I think, to come out of that, which is that um, the the amount of kind of hyperpartisan and polarization that goes on, it's we can now see that's a kind of global phenomenon, courtesy of the misuse of social media. But it seems to be having, and scholars are kind of writing about this in America, it seems to be having a more pronounced effect in America. Okay. This is to you, Patrick. Given the the current state of news around the globe, is there any evidence or do you present an argument in the book that having a public broadcaster is good for democracy, that it improves the quality of news? We certainly present an argument that public broadcasting has a role to play in curating debate and setting the terms of the public square. Um, and one of the things we try to bring out in particular in the in the book is the ABC's contribution to the social, political uh, and cultural fabric of this country. Um, the ABC, having been around for 90 years, has a pretty large role. You know, it's it's got a large history of affecting change, of building audiences in areas that were previously niche um, and making them into things that are mainstream and which are enjoyed by others. Um, cricket is a really good example of that. The ABC holding the rights for cricket, building a national audience for it and right through the 1960s and into the 1970s, um, only to have commercial media interests led by um, Kerry Packer, obviously seeing and swooping in to take that over um, and, and to kind of reap the rewards of the ABC's work. I must feign interest in this part of the discussion, <laughs> given that I don't give a stuff about sport. Let's, uh, Patrick, back to you. Do you. How do you take the recent calls to privatise the joint? Uh, with a great deal of scepticism, Philip. Um, back in 2017, Chris Berg and Sinclair Davidson published what is, to this date, the most substantial and at-length call for privatisation of the ABC. Um, to say that it is lightweight is to give greater weight than it deserves. Um, to say that it has substance is to defy physics. Um, this is a book which argues for the privatisation of the ABC on three grounds. That was very nicely said. Thank you. Um, three grounds to privatise the ABC. Namely, one, it's a burden on the, on the taxpayer. It costs $1 billion a year. And, you know, that's said with a Dr. Evil-like flourish. Um, the other, that it's full of lefties, it's irredeemably biased, and third, that it presents a, a kind of a, a force on that dampens competition in the media market that affects commercial interests. It's worth saying, first of all, that the billion-dollar price tag is, is not actually correct. About a fifth of the ABC appropriation goes on transmission costs that the ABC doesn't really get any discretion about how it should be spent. The second thing to say about that billion-dollar price tag is that in the, in the overall federal government budget, it is next to nothing. It is 0.15%. The federal government in 2020 to 21 spent about $677 billion. There have been calls for privatisation of the ABC since the 1980s, um, but in general, the leaders of the main political parties, in particular on the conservative side, have not really entertained them. Um, John Howard was never really willing to entertain it. To my knowledge, Tony Abbott wasn't even willing to entertain it. But there is a distinct change in the level and the tone in which these calls are made. Do you think that sometimes the ABC's response to this sort of assault is to be a little timid? At times, yes. I think uh, uh, there has been a change and a greater willingness on the ABC to prosecute its case for its worth and viability in Australia. Um, and that's something I think we've seen since 2018 um, after the departures of Michelle Guthrie and Justine Mil Justin Milne. Is there an argument, Patrick, for the ABC to focus efforts across fewer platforms? I don't think so. Um, that is the criticism that's been constantly made by uh, sections of the media, that the ABC has gotten too big and it should be 
cut back and pushed into smaller boxes. The issue we have here, Philip, is that the charter for the ABC obliges it to be comprehensive, to appeal to every single person around, to go to you, to go to Matthew. Now, on one hand, that means a base level of taste and a base level of general appeal, but it also mandates then a kind of niche appeal as well. You need to appeal to your niche interests. Um, to my mind, saying that the ABC should pull back from certain areas, uh, whether because it's duplicating material or you know because it's maybe affecting competition, is not really appropriate because it makes the ABC reactive. It makes it a market failure broadcaster, and it means it's dancing to the tune of other people. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a basic provision of services, and that's what the ABC should be doing. Over the years, Patrick, I've discovered that again and again, conservative critics of the ABC fall silent if they live in the country because the attitude in the rural sector towards this organisation is profoundly different. Yeah, People in the rural areas of Australia have tip, have long understood that the ABC fulfills a vital role. It provides local attention. It provides coverage of local issues. It speaks to their issues, their ideas, um, and in doing so, it fosters a greater sense of, of national unity, appealing to people in the Blue Mountains, appealing to people uh, in Alice Springs, appealing to people in Fremantle. It goes right across the country, which is a really valuable thing it does. Um, the other point to make around this point around the bush, and, and I think in rural and regional Australia that we've seen recently, is that the ABC performs a vital social role in informing everyone. When bushfires are coming through the country, when floods are coming through the country, it's the ABC they turn to. They're not it's, and, that's not a, and it's not in the charter. No, no. And this, this is one of the points. The ABC is not obliged to be a national emergency broadcaster. Um, but it does this because it understands the vital role that it performs and it's a trusted voice. Well, and alongside that, if I can just add to that, uh, Philip, the, in the commercial media, and this is, goes across broadcasting and also in newspapers and online, because of the, the problems, the commercial problems that they've had, they've, they've reduced the services that they provide in the, the bush. So it's kind of doubly necessary that the ABC is there and, and serving communities all around the country. Okay. Could the increased presence of the ABC in regional areas contribute to further losses of regional newspapers? Uh, Either quite, one of you. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how. I think that... Well, it is a suggestion that's, that's postulated. I mean, I, I, I think this is a... It's, it's not an either-or, it's a both, as in we need strong commercial media just as we need strong public broadcasting. I, I, that, that would be my view. This is not a book about saying we should get rid of the commercial media. The commercial media is really important and it's just as important in rural and regional areas as it is in the cities. So I think that, you know, whatever, if government need to play, needs to play a role and they are already playing some kind of a role there, uh, that needs to continue. So much to cover, so little time, gentlemen, I thank you. We've been talking to Matthew Rickardson, Professor of Communications at Deakin, and Patrick Mullins, writer and academic, University of Canberra's Centre for Creative and Cultural Research. The book, Who Needs the ABC? Why Taking It for Granted, is no longer an option. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.